Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you three times per week in under eight minutes. At the time of recording, it is Sunday, February 11th, 3.59 p.m. My name is Josh Mullinex. On today's pod, the quest for scoring glory continues for Caitlin Clark in Kansas. It's a crucial win in the Big 12 race. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. We entered into today, Josh, where the story could be about Caitlin Clark becoming the all-time scorer in women's Division I basketball history. Instead, she comes up just short, and Iowa gets outscored 27-10 to in the fourth quarter against Nebraska, and they fall 82-79 to the Cornhuskers. I have... Never. Now, granted, there aren't that many opportunities to see something like this. I have never seen something like this. It is too simplistic to say that they chose having her break the record at home at home over winning this game. But that is what it felt and looked like, the way they played that fourth quarter. Now, they, they were winning by 10-plus. They were scoring a little bit. She was passing the ball and forcing double teams and things like that. And then they just kind of stopped making shots and give credit to Nebraska. They kept making threes. They kept just clawing their way to stay in the game. Jazz Shelley then hits the huge three that kind of turns everything upside down. I don't remember a single drive by Caitlin Clark in the fourth quarter, though. Mm. She didn't score a point. Yeah. And she took a three from 30, 35 feet down one that you could have held for the last shot of the game. Mm-hmm. It was it was a combination of they just didn't play well, but also they were so clearly trying to get out of that game without having her break the record. And by the way, are now no longer, I mean, Ohio State is about to tip off here. But as of right now, as we're recording this, are no longer in control of the Big Ten Conference and will have to beat Ohio State hypothetically just to share the regular season title. It was, it's great for women's college basketball that everybody, and women's sports in general, that everybody started tuning into this game and that it's this big thing. I'm all for that. I still want to lose sight of the fact that they completely changed the way they played. And that is a problem when you are built around one player. You ready for this? I don't know. Am I? I don't blame him. What makes you say that? I mean, what, what actually changes about the rest of this season because of losing at Nebraska? What actually changes other than winning a big 10 title? Well, that would be, you're probably assuming... And on a resume, nobody cares whether it's a conference game or not. Like, the resume doesn't take into account whether it's a conference game or not. Right, right, right. My answer to that, it's all hypothetical, right? If Ohio State beats you or somehow ends the, the regular season because they lose another game somewhere in there and Ohio State runs the table and then Ohio State goes and wins the Big Ten tournament or something, 
Because I was thinking about this. Maybe that costs you a one seed. Maybe. This is all hypothetical, though, right? It Basically, it depends on if they beat Ohio State. Because if they beat Ohio State, then you're at least even in the win column. So you're going to be fine. You're going to have at least a share of the regular season title. They're probably going to get the one seed. And the answer is not all that much. You're putting yourself in a dangerous position, though, if you don't do what you're supposed to the rest of the way. That's the best answer I have for that. I just really care about regular season championships, and you know that about me. So that's my best answer is it makes your job more difficult to be outright Big Ten champions. And Caitlin Clark breaking the record at home is about 37 times more impactful than a Big Ten regular season championship. My, so my counter to that, because you can't really disagree, and that is part of what is frustrating about this to me, is that you are right. Hmm. That we care more about Caitlin Clark than we do about the actual, and this has been our thing from the beginning. We talked about this in the NCAA tournament last year, that the spectacle is bigger than the actual sport and what happens on the court. And I will always be frustrated by that. The only thing I would say to that is, that, that, this is this isn't a women's specific thing. It's no, not. no, not necessarily. This, this specific instance is not. That's an unfair thing to say. That what's happening with Caitlin Clark's scoring record right now would happen. Would any any player, man or woman, would want to break the record in front of the people? Sure, who, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So that statement you just made was incorrect. Well, I didn't say it was. I'm talking about just the general. Not necessarily. I wasn't necessarily talking specifically about the record. Just the general way that this all goes. Going back just, to the NCAA sure. tournament last year. Yeah. Sure, but no. that's what I'm saying. That's These are not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Talking specifically about the record? Yes. That's, yeah, it's a sure, completely sure. different thing. Sure. And of, co- of course she wants to break it at home. The other, the other thing I was going to say is there are the way that they're getting support on the road at least makes that a little bit different. But I, I mean, absolutely. If you have control over it then of course if they're winning by 20 and she's got 30 points with two minutes left absolutely pull her or just don't have her shoot to break it at home there's no yeah i don't have an issue with that at all that's and you're absolutely right that's not specific to her but the idea that that can somehow take priority over and that's where it's this delicate balance because to me that is part of the reason they lost this game is that they stopped doing what they do and played completely differently in order to have her not break the record, which, like you said, maybe that's just a decision that it's worth it, and I'll just disagree with that fundamentally. The other part is they also just didn't play well. So it's not like it's – it's you can't just make it definitive because it's a combination of the two. Nebraska kept making shots as well. They were winning by 10-plus points, and it was looking fine that they were going to get out of this game without having to break the record. And then all of a sudden – Nebraska just kept making plays and they fell apart offensively. You couldn't have seen that coming. So that's why I do go to their defense a little bit. It was a, just a very, very strange confluence of events. Yeah. And like at the end of it, like I don't care if Caitlin Clark's on the floor or not, you should probably be able to withstand a 15 point lead at the end of the third quarter. Right. Like, like she should like the, like if you're, this is my, my, interesting relationship with this team in general. Like if you are actually one of the two best teams in the country, you should probably be able to handle that whether or not Caitlin Clark is playing like she would, if it was a month and a half ago, 
And they were getting good looks at the beginning of the fourth quarter. She was creating double teams and getting the ball to Hannah Stolke and Kate Martin was knocking down threes. It didn't, this didn't look like it was coming, even when they were clearly playing differently. And then all of a sudden the offense just fell apart, which is the part that, yeah, I, I can't blame them for that because they were doing okay and they should have won the game anyway. And this shouldn't, this was not the sole reason why they lost is that they started playing this way because they were doing okay until they weren't. Mm-hmm. UConn on the road, South Carolina. They maintain perfection. 83-65. Eight-point advantage in the first quarter. Kind of parlayed that over and over again and win by 18 due to the Gamecocks despite losing the fourth quarter by seven points. South Carolina shoots 46% from the field, 37% from the three-point line. They just kind of keep on cruising. And, you know, if for UConn to have a chance to win this game, Paige Beckers was going to need to be way better than 20 points on 20 shots. And that's okay. That's UConn is not as good of a team as South Carolina, but if there was a, a way for, for the Huskies to win this game, that was going to be a big part of it. And that's not uh, what they got on Sunday afternoon. No, you were going to need 50 plus from her and Oya Edwards. Yeah. You just, you didn't get it. And it was going to need to be efficient and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. They're doing what they can with so many injuries. You thought maybe they could at least keep this kind of close, especially when Camilla Cardoso is not there. Mm-hmm. And then Ashley Watkins comes in and she's really good. And Tahina Pow Pow, my favorite name in college basketball, by the way, had 16 in the first half, found her shooting stroke. And yeah. It, nobody's beaten South Carolina on that floor anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, shorthanded, not at her absolute best. Paige Beckers is not going to get that done. The positive thing here, that last shot, they did avoid their first 20-point loss since 2007. There so you go. Bad. There you go. Small silver linings, right? Uh, South Carolina's quest per, for perfection in the regular season will look like this. At Tennessee versus Georgia versus Alabama at Kentucky at Arkansas. And then they play Tennessee again in the final game of the regular season. So no more, at least as of right, this second ranked teams on their schedule, but they will play three of their final six games on the road in that quest for a perfect season. It just, it's not like this team is, loaded with all of these surefire first team all Americans where you came into last year going, oh, okay, you know, Aaliyah Boston, of course. Of course Camilla Cardoso is going to be that player this year. She's been really mm-hmm. good. Still would say she's not even Aaliyah Boston, but they didn't even have her for this game and it didn't matter. And they're doing just fine when she's playing for Brazil and World Cup qualifying or that's the soccer person to me, World Cup qualifying, Olympic qualifying. <laughs> they are a machine and we're going to have to see whether the downside to having a regular season like this with the Gonzaga one on the men's side, and obviously South Carolina's done this, UConn's done this, all of a sudden it kind of doesn't matter unless you actually win the whole thing. Clearly they're the best team in the country. They make it look pretty easy most nights, and this was certainly not an exception to that. question is can you win when it matters most in March, and how do they handle what happened last season and – the 
way this is all going to shake out where you've got an uh, uh, Iowa there, you've got an LSU there, you've got all of these other storylines and things coming from last year's Final Four, that it almost feels like we're not even really talking about the South Carolina team very much because they just make it look really easy and do what they're supposed to every time they take the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, South Carolina did it again. That's kind yeah. of where that's kind of where it, we're at. They're so good it's boring. Yeah. There just isn't that much to say because it all speaks for itself. <laughs> Last but not least, in the Big 12 on the men's side on Saturday, Kansas 64, Baylor 61, an important outcome for the Jayhawks as they continue they try to keep pace in the Big 12 uh regular season championship race and it was not especially pretty from either side of the aisle you got you know hunter dickinson needed 19 shots to get 15 points um you were without kevin mcculler in this game but ultimately it was just enough for bill self's team 64 61 over Baylor to get it done. And really like, if you lose that one, you're sitting at six and five in the big 12. And it's probably over at that yep. point in terms of trying to win a conference title. Now they're seven and four, a game back of Houston, still very much in the race. And, um, and uh, a three point win over Baylor is the reason why. Especially on a weekend where had this gone the other way, Baylor, Houston and Iowa state all would have won. So not only would you not have been able to make up ground while playing at home, you would have actually lost ground to all of the teams that you're looking up at at the top of the Big 12 standing. So, yes, had to have this one if they're going to pull this off. Nick Timberlake sure did a lot of things. (laughs) Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. He did hit a three. He got some important rebounds. He did make a lot of good contributions. He then also left. I think it was Jaden Nunn, if I remember correctly, wide open for a chance to tie the game and then missed a free throw so that Jacoby Walter got a shot again Mm -hmm. to tie the game. Yep. (laughs) They nearly got this thing to overtime in a game that should not have been this close. This is part of the problem when you have basically five players and one of them is unavailable. Yep. Now all of a sudden Nick Timberlake is in your starting lineup which means he's not even able to come off your bench, you know. But they did find a way. They did get some contributions from the guys who took the floor that are not outside of the four. Johnny Furphy was really good. Baylor did Baylor things and turned the ball over 21 times. You can also flip this and say if Baylor had taken care of the basketball, they probably would have won. Yeah, 21 turnovers and 8 of 26 from the three-point line when you're the best three-point shooting team in the country or one of them I haven't looked in the last two days but um from a percentage standpoint one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country um you would think with only those two pieces of information that kansas would be more convincing than that at home but uh they were not yeah it's really just a neither team was great and kansas as they very often do especially at home found a way to eke it out got the important win and now we get (laughs) my Big question starts again. They're going to Lubbock. Let's mm-hmm. see how this goes. Can they win? And I mean, that's a, a Texas Tech team that's reeling a little bit, that's battling some injuries. That's a game you can win. 
We haven't seen them actually do it yet, but we're talking about something different. If they find a way to, after winning this one, to get that one as well, then they're right there with with everybody else in the Big 12 and they're going to put a lot of pressure on teams as we head down the stretch here. Indeed. Anything else from the weekend? I know you really want to talk about Gonzaga and the opposite end of that, which is Kentucky. So Gonzaga, Mm -hmm. and I'll want to hear just a couple of your quick thoughts there. Gonzaga, that's a massive, massive win. Big one for Michigan State, too, to take to give yourself some breathing room, a little bit of confidence taking down Illinois with a really, really emphatic run to end the game. Those were the other couple things that stood out to me this weekend. Yeah, I think, one, I think it's very, very intriguing that Gonzaga is just a completely forgotten about commodity this season. Um, I Like, Gonzaga isn't, isn't that good. Um, it's not like they are really good and nobody's really talking about them because right. they lost the games that they played against some of the best teams in the country. It's not that. We, we but, were right. Look at St. Mary's. <laughs> it yeah. just took a while to get there. <laughs> yeah. So, but but they just won at Rupp. A team against a Kentucky team that at times this season has been, looked really, really dangerous. So that's that's number one. I'm, I'm not saying that Gonzaga's, this is going to be the year that Gonzaga wins a national championship. I'm just saying that, I'm like, there are only two teams in the country that I'm super convinced by at all. Like, period. There are two teams in the country right now, that being UConn and Purdue, that I'm completely convinced by. So all I'm saying is that this is the year, this is a year that Gonzaga ends up like playing, you know, beating the really good team that they play in Sweet 16. And then all of a sudden you're looking up and they're up by four at the under eight of an Elite Eight game. Yep. I I wouldn't be super stunned by that. Um yep. That's get, that's get in one. as a ten or an eleven or something, and just start rolling. Yeah, yeah, and and which is a crazy thing to to think about. Like Gonzaga, like imagine you have to go play Gonzaga. Like you're you're like the the three seed, and you get to, you have to play Gonzaga in the second round. That's crazy. Uh, the other one is Kentucky is like dangerously close to just being really really behind the eight ball in terms of where they fall in this ncaa tournament they just don't their resume is not impressive it's just not no. um when you when you really look i mean the north Carolina, like thank the thank goodness north carolina ended up being one of the five best teams in the country because if they don't then we're talking about your best win of the season being florida if it's not yeah, north that's carolina not great like it's North Carolina. That is far and away the best win of the season. In terms of Kimpom ratings, their next best win is Florida. Who's 26? And I think Florida is on is is maybe, you know, the metrics like Florida. Um Play, Florida's and an playing good one. basketball. And playing good basketball. But the point is being the point is. Yeah, they haven't beaten like that is easily their second best win. They lost to Kansas. They've lost to Texas A&M, South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee in SEC play. Um, they also have a loss against UNC Wilmington, one that is, you know, it, I mean, Tyoka Siddle's squad is not bad, but they're a sub-100 Kempom team. Um, it's like there are some teams that are considered very firmly on the bubble that have resumes that are way closer to Kentucky's resume than people uh might think 
you know, that they might uh, assume that they are. And so we'll see what happens over the next, you know, three weeks or whatever. They'll have plenty of opportunity. They still play Auburn again. They still play Alabama again. They still play Tennessee again. They play Mississippi State. Um, there will be opportunities, but what happens if they lose all of those? But, if, but what happens if they lose all of them? Correct. So now you're 16 and seven and six and four in the SEC with no. With with one excellent win, um, and outside of that, you don't have a ton ton to stand on. So I think that depending on which way Kentucky goes, I think over the next few weeks that will get talked about more and more. I had somebody text me yesterday saying, "Like, is Calipari in the hot seat?" I said, and I said, "Hot seats." I, I would never consider Calipari on the hot seat at Kentucky, but like, it's probably not a super comfortable seat. And you and I talked about this preseason about this being a return to, you know what, I'm just going to go get every single freshman and we're going to do this again and see how it goes. And there's some, there's some nights where it's like, yeah, that was awesome. And after, you know, on January 9th, when you're 12 and two and you have a win against North Carolina, like it was really fun. And since then they haven't been super impressive. And so it's just something I keep my eye on where Kentucky actually ends up when we get to selection Sunday and if they have anything else to write home about other than we beat UNC on a neutral in the middle of December. The one thing I will say is, and the reason I'm holding out hope because I bought into this team very, very early on, maybe if they get everybody back playing together for an extended stretch here, because it's been so in and out and kind of just scattered about who's available and what rotations and roles people have. That is at least part of the story here that sure. I would not be surprised if we are having a very different conversation about Kentucky in a good way by the time we get to Selection Sunday. They've got a lot of work to do between now and then to get there. I am not giving up on this team quite yet, though. You're absolutely right. they got to do something or this is going to get real dicey. And then it might just not matter if they get hot in March because they're a nine seed or because mm-hmm. they're an eight seed. And even if you're playing well enough to make a deep run if you were a six seed you run into yukon or purdue in the second round and right. you're just i wouldn't bet on them to win either of those games right now mm-hmm. josh anything else from the weekend that's all i've got quick super bowl pick uh chiefs i'm not betting against patrick mahomes people keep telling me that the niners have the better football team yeah so did the ravens yeah, yeah. and kansas city has the better defense to me, that's the difference here. Those two yep. corners are going to do some damage, and Brock Purdy's life is going to be a lot more difficult than going up against the Lions secondary. That's my rationale. Yeah, I um the 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 Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. That's my rationale. That's my <laughs> rationale. Um and and everybody else in around the country keeps talking themselves out of Patrick Mahomes, and I it's a lucrative business model over the last couple of years in the playoffs because people keep talking themselves out of Patrick Mahomes. And now we got Patrick Mahomes as an underdog in the Super Bowl again. It's not something I'm upset about, but uh, but yeah, it should. Be, I'll, I'll hit you with the cliche of I'm just looking for a close game. I'm just looking for a close game. Um, but no, I'll go with the Chiefs. Uh, and then we have to have start having really serious conversations about. I mean, Tom Brady's not even cold yet, and and. Patrick, and we've already got another guy on pace. Like, and I know that's not usually how sports work. Very rarely does on pace actually lead to that's how it ends up. He's kind of keeping out, the pace but, up, though. <laughs> but it's, but 
to be to be this deep into it and still on pace is, is a little wild. Uh, like you said, Monday, Kansas is at Texas Tech. That's a big, big-time matchup in the Big 12. A uh, couple of good matchups on Tuesday evening, and we'll uh, we'll discuss what the biggest stories are once we get to Tuesday evening. That's the next time we will see you. Until then, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the Under 8 Pod on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. This has been the Under 8 Podcast for Sunday, February 11th. It is 4.23 p.m. Thank you so much for being here. And we will see you next time. Thank you.